Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Some strong voices are being heard over concerns that there are significant disparities between mental health care needs and access to care here in Missouri. It's the subject of a new report by the Missouri Federation of Behavioral Health Advocates, and there's a legislative attempt to allay these concerns in Jefferson City. Joining me to talk about the issue and the means of dealing with it are Jackie Hudson, Director of Advocacy for the St. Louis Office of NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness in Missouri. NAMI's facilitating efforts to enhance Missouri's state parity law in the current legislative session. Mike Morrison is CEO of Bridgeway Behavioral Health that offers numerous substance abuse services. Sita Deal is the author of the report, Nowhere to Turn, Findings from a Survey on Access to Mental Health and Addictions Treatment Among Missouri Health Plan Beneficiaries. She joins us by phone. We'll be joined in a bit by Julianne Oziah Gideon in Springfield. She lost her daughter to an opioid overdose. Thank you all so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank Pleasure to be here. Sita, let me begin with you. Can you give me a kind of a, a brief overview of the findings in your survey? Sure. Um, this survey was a replication of a study that NAMI did at the national level for three years running, and we had about 3,000 people um, for each year. And so we uh, did a, just a Missouri-specific version and got about 152 respondents. And what we really found was consistent with what we found at the national level. And that is, um, first of all, that mental health and substance use disorders are serious and they can be fatal. I mean, in, in Missouri alone, we have twice as many, we have lost twice as many people to suicide and overdoses as traffic accidents. And we find that people need professional help to restore their lives. But um, the people in this study were three times as likely to be uh, using an out-of-network provider if they could find a provider at all. And that meant that they paid a lot more in out-of-pocket costs, which meant that some people um, you know, scrimped on services, other people scrimped on food and, you know, necessities and rent and things like that, and, and still other people decided, well, I'll just tough it out. What were the difficulties in finding providers? Well, um, the, the problem is, uh, it's a nationwide problem, and that is that mental health and substance use providers are paid uh, quite a lot less, even for the same service, compared to primary care and certainly specialty care providers for other disciplines. And so because of that, uh, a far fewer mental health and substance use providers are in the health plan networks, which means that consumers who even people with insurance, they're looking for an in-network provider and they can't find one. So then they've got to try and go to someone else or try to travel, you know, a long way, 80 miles, you know, 100 miles in order to get even crisis care. And so um, that ends up, you know, people go to an out-of-network provider, which means that they pay substantially more out-of-pocket. Jackie, Jackie, did uh, the, do these findings uh, surprise you at all? Absolutely not. I, we've known for years that there are uh, a, there is a shortage of mental health providers uh, and substance use providers, uh, and um, you know, this incident uh, really speaks to that. Um, but, uh, you know, you would think that if you have, if you're paying premiums for health care insurance, you would be able to connect with one of those providers and in network like you do for anything else that you go to the doctor for. Uh, but this is not the case. And, and NAMI feels that this is unfair. And really what we're trying to do here is make 
uh, insurance companies more accountable for providing these services. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are three times as many people across the nation in commercial insurance than there are in, in uh, public uh, insurance, such as Medicaid. Yet Medicaid is the number one payer of mental health care and addiction treatment. Why would the insurance companies be so reluctant to get involved in this particular issue? Well, I think they're always reluctant to pay for anything. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, in general, (laughs) mental health and and substance use has a stigma. And, and, you know, one of the number one things that NAMI tries to do is address that stigma. Mm. You know, as, as a parent, if you have two children with a chronic illness, one has a mental illness and one has diabetes, you know, and they could go... The one with diabetes can see the doctor unlimited amount of times, and the one with mental illness has a limited amount of time to see the doctor for depression. That's not fair. Yeah. And, there's, and that parent shouldn't have to deal with that uh, type of stigma. Yeah. Mike Morrison, I think a lot of people are, are sometimes reluctant to associate the two mental health issues and substance abuse, but one is very closely connected to the other. Absolutely. Um, you know, we refer to substance use disorders as brain disorders. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's what's happening to somebody that has a substance use disorder is happening in the brain. And um, certainly, um, I would say 70% of our clients have coexisting uh, diagnosable psychiatric disorders along with their substance use disorders. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to, you know, split the two apart. I would have to uh, assume that you are not surprised by the findings in this report either. No, not at all. It's uh, We've been struggling with this for many, many, many years. And, uh, you know, I think Jackie hit it on the head when she said stigma is a, is a big part of it. You know, and these, these are... These are chronic conditions that people are going to have uh, probably oftentimes for the rest of their lives, and they're uh, uh, characterized by sort of a sometimes cyclic relapsing pattern uh, um, for a while, and health, health insurance companies, you know, don't particularly want to, to pay for them. Sita, you indicated that this is a, a national situation. Uh, are you aware of where it's being handled a lot better than it is in Missouri and, and maybe with some ideas as to what Missouri might do about it? Um, yeah, um, New York probably is uh, the the top of the heap, and uh, you know, kind of not surprising. But they have a very strong um, enforcement at the state level. So their state attorney general monitors plans very closely and requires health plans to submit, um, you know, how they're complying with parity to the state health insurance department. And because of that, you know, the health plans are then aware of exactly what they need to do in order to comply with the law. I think it's a lot looser in Missouri, and um, because Missouri, uh, you know, is not as a health insurance department is not doesn't have the authority to enforce federal law. It's one of the very few states, there are three states in the union, where the uh, state insurance department doesn't have the authority to enforce federal law. That means that they're stuck with enforcing state law, which uh, in Missouri has not covered substance use. State parity law has not co- included substance use at all. And where it included mental health, it wasn't as strong as the federal law. So, um, you know, so I think that if there were more, better state law in Missouri, 
then they would be able to, then the health plans would understand exactly what they have to do. This is complex, and, you know, and, and to give them credit, health plans have to, you know, put a lot of investment into complying, and if there's a lot of gray areas, then they'll um, default in favor of making money for their shareholders, uh, but... You know, the upshot is what we need is really specific information for the health plan so they know how to comply, and then we need the state health insurance department to hold the plans accountable. Well, Jackie, you're working with the legislature on, on this. What, where are they in this legislation, and what specifically would it do? Okay, so the legislation is House Bill 2384, and it's sponsored by uh, State Representative Jay Barnes uh, from Jefferson City. Um, This bill would essentially make our state parity law uh, fairer for people uh, needing mental health and addiction treatment, and it will bring it up to par to the federal parity law, which does include addiction treatment, uh, and it does include um, some other things, uh, such as uh, what we call... um, unquantitative uh, treatment limitations, you know, things around medical necessity and, and setting eligibility requirements for, uh, you know, uh, in-network providers and setting the rate, uh, reimbursement rates and such. Um, Mike, does this, uh, what they're working on, meet the criteria that uh, would be satisfactory to you? Yeah, it, it, it would. Um, you know, one of the things that, that – I think is really unfair is that um, in our state, the consumer is expected to advocate for themselves or to make complaints uh, if they feel that parity has not been followed through and and report to the insurance commission. And, and you're expecting, you know, someone that has, that is in the, 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 uh, the throes, if you will, of substance use disorder or, or mental illness or both to advocate for themselves, to navigate their the the uh, you know the documents that insurance companies may or may not have um, you know supplied to them. Those documents may or may not be uh, you know include all of the ins and outs of their policies, and to and to you know go and argue their case and it and and to expect that I mean it's hard enough for me if I want to go get my get a a, a a dental implant or something to figure out you know how I'm going to get it paid for by the my insurance company but to expect our consumers is uh, I think very unfair. Sita as uh, of what you understand of what uh, they're working on in Missouri how does it sound to you? Well, it, it really sounds like it would, would help a lot, and I agree with Mike thoroughly. You know, to expect somebody who's in a psychiatric crisis or in a substance use um, situation to advocate for themselves, to find the right state authority to advocate with, and then to gather all the documentation, what usually ends up happening is families are on the hook if people have good relationships or even decent relationships with their families. And we know that caregivers... Mental health caregivers um, devote substantially more time per week, like 32 hours a week uh, on average, to dealing with paperwork like this and dealing with helping people get to appointments and finding providers. And that's a lot more than caregivers for other types of conditions, about 24 hours a week for caregivers of other kinds of conditions. So it's not only the individual that is burdened in an unrealistic way, but also their family member. 
Jackie, do you think, I have to take a break in just a, f- a few seconds, but do you think the current opioid epidemic is giving any traction to uh, these efforts right now? I do. I was in Jefferson City yesterday, and I talked to many uh, state representatives, and they were very uh, uh, curious and asking questions, and they all talked about the opioid epidemic. So this is a tool to fight the opioid epidemic. It's the, one ti- tool. the timing could be very right then for uh, this, this, this kind of a discussion. Okay, let's take that break that I mentioned. We'll come back and continue our, our conversation on mental health issues. We'll also hear the personal story of a Missouri woman who lost her daughter to this opioid epidemic. That's coming up in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back. We will continue our conversation with uh, Jackie Hudson with NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illnesses, St. Louis. Cita Deal is the author of Nowhere to Turn, a report on access to mental health treatment in Missouri. Mike Morrison is Executive Vice President of Preferred Family Health here in the St. Louis area. And we're going to be joined now by phone by Julianne Oziah Gideon. She lost her daughter to an opioid overdose. And Julianne, so sorry about your loss. Tell us the issues that you faced as you were going through this ordeal with your daughter. Well, the first issue was uh, finding help locally and uh, being able to have my daughter seen immediately. We had a conversation. She came to me and said, you know, I have an issue. I'm addicted to heroin. I can't stop because when I do, I get really sick. So we went the next day to a local hospital where they have an addiction center, and we were told that we would have to make an appointment and that they were at least a week out. So in the meantime, you know, people that have withdrawals from heroin and other uh, opiates, it, it can be life-threatening. You can die from it. So, you know, here you can be left with nowhere to turn. What do you do for that week? Do you keep feeding them drugs? Do you just watch them and hope they don't die? Uh, that was one of the initial problems. Another problem was um, trying to get insurance to pay past 30 days inpatient. The treatment facility my daughter was in was in Florida, uh, inpatient. After 30 days, they told her she had to go to outpatient because they would no longer be covering her inpatient stay, although she said she was not ready and she begged to stay for at least three more weeks. They told her no. Do you? So within a week, she had a relapse. I, I gather that you believe these delays and the way that this whole thing was handled was a contributing factor to her death. Absolutely. And, and Jackie, this is precisely the kind of thing that we're we're talking about here. This is happening again and again, I understand. Absolutely. You know, there there are more each year there are more and more people who die from opioids in the state of Missouri and in the St. Louis area that has the most uh, number of people who die. Uh this bill addresses that. 
You know, why uh, can't we have uh, substance use treatment on par with other medical illnesses? You know, if she would have had cancer and, you know, or something like that, you know, I don't think she would have been treated the same. And, Mike, again, we're talking stigma here once again as being one of the reasons that this, this, this help is not so readily available. Yeah, we are talking about stigma. Um, but we're also talking about right at this time in history, at least in the substance use field, um, with an epidemic that we're facing. And we're, we're swamped, uh, to put it mildly. Um, there are so many people that um, are addicted to opioids that um, we can't even begin to, to keep up with it. Um, there have there are uh, some large federal dollars that have come down through the STR grants that are helping with that, and we're getting people linked to medication a lot quicker than we used to. Um, but it's still it's uh, it's a nightmare. Sita, do you want to weigh in on this uh, part of the discussion? Sure. Yeah, we found in our study that um, the that the plans were a lot less likely to cover substance use medication than either mental health or specialty other types of specialty care, and so I think that that's a contributing factor. I don't believe the health plan policy has caught up with the fact that people need methadone, need suboxone, you know, because we're in an epidemic, that they definitely need the access to the medication, and with mental health and substance use response to medication is quite individual and particularly with uh, mental illness you know it's it's a delicate process to get to the right balance of medications and to have a health plan say no we're not going to cover that um, can completely derail someone's life and then you know if you throw them into crisis and things go downhill for many years so you know it's it's dangerous in terms of uh, it can be fatal, but it can also derail someone's life for the long term. Julianne, um, what sort of response did you get from the people you were dealing with after your daughter's death? And, and do you have any recourse at this point, or is this just over? Oh, no, it's not over. Um, I'm doing everything I can to help with the parity bill to get it passed. I'm I'm talking in in several high schools. Uh, I just traveled with Vicki Hartzler, Congress lady, and did seven schools within three days here in Missouri. We're trying to help spread awareness. I'm doing rallies and ball games here in my town. I'm doing whatever I can on Facebook to share information and, you know, just encourage people to, to open their eyes and realize that this can happen to anybody. It's not just for poor people. It's not just for homeless. I mean, uh, my daughter was a cheerleader, straight-A student. She was popular. Everybody loved her. She, you know, it, it's not just something that's not going to happen to you. And we need to be teaching all people, not just kids, but starting from children, we need to be teaching them what to do if the situation arises and what these drugs can do to you and your family. I mean marijuana and it just everything leads to something more and you know awareness making making it available for treatment um the medicine you know they tried medicine with my doc my daughter also and it was a hundred dollars a week and that was with insurance mm. you know my husband and i are paying three hundred dollars a month for a premium why is she not being treated i have a heart condition do you do you think that my doctor would ever just tell me after 30 days that I'm cut off from treatment? Absolutely not. 
just like cancer patients, just like uh, she said, you know, I mean, people smoke cigarettes. Do you think that they plan that, hey, I'm going to smoke a cigarette today because I want to get cancer? No. And, and these, these people that are getting addicted are not saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to wake up and put a needle in my arm. I'm going to be a junkie. No, people do things. People make mistakes. People try things. And then they get addicted. They don't do it on purpose. But when it happens, we have no way to help them back out of that. What has the response been to you? Uh, do you find that people are responsive to you, or is it still seemingly a pretty much uphill fight? Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, I, I'm really actually surprised with the good response that I've had. Um, a lot of times, you know, I've done stories for newspapers and, and such, and I just don't read the comments because I know that there are people out there that don't know about addiction, don't want to know, and just think any, anybody that has an addiction problem should die. You know, I, I've read stuff like that. Um, so for the most part, it's it's been a good response, and, I, and there are a lot of people out there that really want to help, and it just starts with one person speaking out, and then you've got to get more people to speak out. It's not something that there's no book on it. You know, we haven't been taught to share our feelings or talk about what's going on in our life openly. Right. And so we just we have to get rid of the stigma. I mean, we can make a change. We just all have to work together to do it. Uh, Julie, thank you. Mike, uh, this is not a, a new story to you. No, it, unfortunately not. You know, I've uh, over the last few years, I've spoken at a number of um, of groups of parents and it is um it's the same story over and over and over and it it breaks my heart you know and and they come to these meetings looking for answers and um that most of the time i just can't give you know and jackie uh, this this uphill battle i i guess the hill is a little taller now uh given the opioid epidemic we've been talking about Right. And, you know, NAMI's been involved in this issue, mental health parity, since the 19, late 1990s. Uh, and we're still trying to get it right. <laughs> I think, though, if we pass this bill, we'll be really close to getting it right. And that's what makes it so exciting. Um, you know, one thing I do want to mention is that, you know, the insurance company says, well, this will increase costs and then we'll have to uh, drop, you know, drop people from our roles because, you're, you know, you're increasing their premiums. But there is a stipulation in the bill that says if the costs are more uh, than 2% for behavioral health coverage as a result of, of instituting this, this rule, then uh, there's a way for insurance companies to get out of this. So and in 10 years, that never has happened. So I don't think that, that the insurance companies have a leg to stand on here. Yeah. I, I want to pick up on that point, but I also want to bring in a, a caller who wants to get into the conversation. Kirsten is joining us from St. Louis. Kirsten, thank you for waiting. Uh, what's your question or comment? Thank you. Um, so I was diagnosed with major mental illness in 2013, which derailed my legal career. I, were, I had a very lucrative job making over six figures at a law firm, and when I went out with illness, I was eligible for short and then long-term disability. Um, my long-term disability was about $72,000 a year. Unfortunately, because there's no parity law that covers disability insurance, my benefits were limited to two years. Had I had a heart condition, had I had some other physical condition, 
I would have been able to remain on long-term disability until age 65, and I was in my early 40s when I went out. So fortunately, I have um, was able to get Social Security right away, and I ended up being on Medicaid, and that's ridiculous because my employer paid into a plan. I paid into a plan that should have covered me. I should not have had to been on the state rolls and for support through Medicaid and Medicare. But instead, because there's no parity law that includes um, disability insurance, I was on the public dime. And fortunately, I'm working my way back, and I will be fully transitioned back to work and off Social Security disability in a couple of months. But I'm just wondering if this is a provision, um, is there is there a provision in this new bill that would address my situation? And if not, um, could could you all look into adding something like this because that will help offset medical um, coverage, medical bills from Medicare. Kirsten, thank you. That's a good question, and and I'll have to go back and, and verify that, but I think the answer is no. I think it does not cover a disability insurance, but uh, I'm all for fighting for that in the future. You know, and, 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 and what it would do, this is Cedar, I'm sorry, this is what, what it would do is um, help individuals and employers get what they pay for. So, uh, you know, to get the right mental health treatment up front and not have to fight for getting the access to the care that you need. And we find that the outcomes for mental health and substance use treatment are really very good. That's one of the things that um, uh, uh, health insurance policy kind of lagged behind on before. But we have a strong evidence base for how effective mental health treatment is and can be. So if people get the right care at the right time for the right length of time at a cost they can afford, then they wouldn't have to get into long-term disability and people like you wouldn't have to lose your job and go on Social Security, you know, on the, on the public dime. Mike, you wanted to add something. Yeah, um, the caller made a very good point, and, and this is, this is, it's disturbing to me that our state uh, and the federal government are subsidizing, in essence, insurance companies. Um, you know, when, when there are such poor benefits, the people uh, will often, um, they will opt to not even try to use their benefits, um, or they'll come in, the benefits will expire, and then our state picks up the balance of whatever care we give them. And to me, that seems wrong, that the, the citizens of the state of Missouri should be paying for people who have health insurance. We have an email from Mike, and I'll, I'll just digest it, boil it down to the nut here. Uh, why not reform the insurance companies, attack the problem from that area? I mean, this has been called discrimination on the part of the insurance companies. Discrimination is, is illegal in this country, supposedly. Why not uh, go after the insurance companies, Jackie? Has is that, is that been attempted? or Is it a viable idea? Uh, well, are you talking about a lawsuit of some kind? Reforming, uh, reforming the reform. insurance, yeah, forcing them to d- deal equitably with the physical uh, maladies and also with mental health well, issues. Well, I, I think that's what we're doing <clears throat> with with this law. I mean, it's exactly what we're doing with this law. You know, um, forcing the insurance companies to to uh, provide an e- even playing field. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Now, you know, you can pass a bill, and whether or not it's enforced, you know, is another yeah. thing, but. This bill does actually uh, make sure that the state of Missouri, through the Department of Insurance, will enforce this law. Okay. 
right now it's the federal government that's enforcing the law. And, you know, when you go to the federal level, it's, it's you know, much harder to uh, cover everyone or help everyone. C.D., you sounded like you wanted to, uh, to weigh in there. Yeah. Um, so, so um, as Mike said before, right now, enforcement of federal parity rests on the backs of consumers and their family members. They have to complain in order for the authority who's supposed to enforce the law to go, oh, yeah, there is a problem. We need to do something about that. What this bill does is it requires the Department of Insurance to gather data from the health plans proactively, and that means that the health plans are proactively held accountable to demonstrate that they're complying with parity. And if there's an issue, then they have to fix it, not wait for a consumer complaint. So I think that this does does, uh, go after the insurance companies, if that's the way you want to put it. Julianne? I think it's absolutely disgusting that my daughter had to die because of money, basically. Because this is all about the insurance companies. I think that the insurance companies should be sued. I think that it's disgusting that they are not being held liable for following the federal parity law. I think that, you know, if, if I would have been rich, my daughter could still be alive. If I could, if I would have been able to pay out of pocket and that's just absolutely asinine that we put a dollar on everyone's head. So my daughter died because of money. That's so sad to hear. I, I want to take one more phone call before we have to wrap this up. And Ashley's in St. Louis. Uh, Ashley, go ahead. You're on the air. Yes, I was just wanting to make a point that, yes, I understand that there is an opioid epidemic going on. But if we're also talking about substance abuse and mental health issues, why am I not hearing about meth addiction or crack addiction or like even cannabis addiction? Mike, why don't you take that? Uh, you make a good point, Ashley. Um, it, you know, these things uh, often come in cycles and they sort of go from depressant drugs to stimulant drugs. And for a long time, uh, you know, we dealt with the crack cocaine issue and that sort of left after a while and then meth became a huge issue and now opioids are the huge issue. You know, I can, uh, but, but it's not like we're not seeing people who ha- are, are addicted to meth and crack uh, every day at our treatment programs. It's just when when uh, people started dying so frequently um, with from opioid, then it became a big issue. But you're absolutely right. And and let's let's be frank. Uh, you know, the worst of all the drugs is alcohol. It causes more problems than anything else in the the country. And this bill would address all of the um, would cover all the all the substance use disorders. We're going to have to wrap this up, and I know that, Jackie, you want to make folks aware of an event you're having in just a short period of time. Tell us quickly, if you will, what that's all about. Yes. Uh, Every year, NAMI, uh, St. Louis, has what we call the NAMI Walk in St. Louis. This year, um, it's Saturday, May 5th. Um, Check-in time, 9 a.m. Walk starts at 10 a.m. It will be at Central Park uh, at the Chesterfield Amphitheater, you can go online uh, on our website and find out more information. We were not asking you uh, for a registration fee or anything like that. Come out and help us address stigma. And uh, educate folks. Let them and educate. become more fully aware of what's going on. Right. And we, we right do now. have bo- – we'll have booths with brochures and information on 
anything from mental illness to where you can get treatment. We'll put a link to your website on ours at stlpublicradio.org so Great. people can access it that way. I have to say thank you now. I don't have to, but I will say thank, <laughs> thank you. you. I appreciate Jackie Hudson with NAMI for being with us today. Thank you so much. Cita Deal, thank you for being with us as well. Okay. And Julianne Oziah Gideon, thank you. And Mike Morrison, thank you for being with us today. Right. Most informative, and I hope people are beginning to wake up to some of these issues that are out there. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.